Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, Conversations That Matter of Faith and Public Life. We'll be talking today with Amy Lewis Hofflin, who is the executive director of the Crow Collection of Asian Art here in Dallas. Uh, and, and we'll be talking about how art can help to build a more compassionate society. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and today we are grateful to have as our guest, Amy Lewis Hofland, who is the executive director of the Crow Collection of Asian Art here in Dallas. And Amy, welcome to the program. We're glad to have Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. Well, Asian Art, Dallas, Texas. Now, I think um, that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and we learned that uh, it is the largest collection of Asian art in the Southern United States. But really, Amy, Dallas, Texas, um, <laughs> that it seems an unlikely place for Asian art. Tell us about why it's here, where did the collection come from, and, and how do you understand its significance to our community? You know, I didn't believe it either. <laughs> I was teaching uh, art education at the University of North Texas, uh -huh. and I was invited to apply. I was a new uh, master's graduate from UNT, invited to apply for this museum that was opening in the Arts District in Trammell Crow Center. And Honestly, I scoffed at first and mm -hmm. didn't think I would take the interview. And my dad encouraged me to go meet Trammell Crow. Mm -hmm. So I met Trammell Jr., Trammell Junior. S. Crow, right, right. the son of Trammell. And he completely surprised me with this remarkable passion for Asia. Mm. And we talked in a three-hour interview one night at his house about the importance of cultural understanding. Mm. and that over the years, his parents traveled to Asia. They started traveling in 74. Mm -hmm. And even before that, Trammell was committed to broadening an understanding of the world. He felt that it made Dallas a better city. So the art collection that he brought back to Dallas after many trips to Asia, along with his wife, Margaret, populated office buildings, warehouse lobbies. Mm -hmm. It was hotels that they were developing. And every time a work of art went up, there was a label with it. So in a sense, there was a museum before there was a museum. Oh, and Trammell S. Crow said to me that night, and the Asian American migration to North Texas is the single most important event of my lifetime. Really? And it will change the fabric of our city and our economy forever. Well. And it really, as a young museum educator, it surprised me. This mm -hmm. was not a traditional Asian art museum. This was not a traditional board director. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I jumped on this train, it would be an unforgettable adventure. And that has been so true. Well, that's, so. that's wonderful. You know, I think if we were to think about the cities in Texas, we tend to think of Houston as an international city mm -hmm. because it's a port city, right? right. And I, I would say we think of Dallas as a national city in a way. Uh, Fort Worth is the beginning of the West and you know, mm -hmm. south, the southwestern feel and Tex-Mex in San Antonio and what's Austin, maybe uh, Santa Fe East, right. something <laughs> like that, right? Uh, but what you're telling us is that uh, 
Dallas is not so easily classified any longer. We have a real mix of cultures happening and converging here in Dallas. We really do, and I think the Arts District is the visual manifestation of that. Okay. And I think uh, the Crows, along with many other leaders, held a vision for Dallas as an international city long mm -hmm. before we mm -hmm. knew we were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trammell built the trademark in the 60s and right. immediately caught the attention of Shanghai and Tokyo, and they both built trademarks with Trammell Crow Company in Tokyo and in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. So there was an instant arc of conversation and dialogue and business across culture that changed our city. And I think the World Trade Center doesn't get enough credit for right. what it did for, for right. Dallas. You know, we, we call this program Good God, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons for that is that we're really talking about what makes for the common good? What makes for vital communities? What, what helps us to become the best we can be? And I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that if you can't travel overseas, mm -hmm. uh, which many people testify to the fact that travel is a real spiritual experience of growing as citizens of the world and getting out of your parochialism mm -hmm. and your own culture, uh, something like uh, an Asian art museum in <laughs> Dallas, Texas is part of that way of bringing the world to your community and opening your own understanding of the world, huh? Yes, and over 20 years, my relationship to understanding that has changed so much. I'm really thinking about the portals that the collection mm. offers the community and the need, the urgency to understand the Islamic faith is on all of our minds yes, right now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the need to understand what it means to be Hindu and yes. what it means to wear a turban yes. and practice a devotion. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the, <clears throat> the cultures are shrinking. Uh, the world is shrinking. You know, yes. The internet makes us very close to knowledge in ways that we've never been. Right. And how can this art help us foster a love and understanding and compassion for each other? So that's the role I see. Well, let's talk a little bit about the art itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think if you grew up in the United States, you were probably more influenced by the art of the Western world, you might say, uh, the Renaissance and uh, the Impressionists. And the, uh, the European art primarily has uh, been what we're accustomed to, you might right. say. Uh, is is there something uh, that you would help us understand that's different about Asian art that might give us a different picture of the world? Absolutely. I think there are really three things okay. I would say about walking into an understanding of Asian art, and that's a huge generalization mm -hmm. because Japanese art is so different from the art of South mm -hmm. Asia. But what, what I see across a general sense is that the relationship with art is different. So first... Um, in Asia, across philosophies and religions, nature is really at the center of the universe. Okay. And having a relationship, a very small relationship in a broad expanse of nature, mm -hmm. you can see that across art forms in Asia. And I think it's also related to functionality. And in Asia, art is functional for faith. It's functional for food, which mm -hmm. is a huge part of culture. Mm -hmm. It's functional for daily life and, mm -hmm. and sort of the philosophies of culture and festivals. Mm -hmm. And so that's a totally different relationship. Here in the West, we put art on a wall. It's and not just decorative. Slap a label it's, on it. It's, it's, right. it's something we use every day in, in, a, in an Eastern right. setting. Okay. And it's also in, in Asian art, art is for everyone. Ah. 
It's okay. you know across castes, it's across religions. Okay. And here in some in some conversations, art is only relegated to a certain group of people. The rich, so, the elitist, right. the educated class, that sort of thing. Right. right. You really have to change what you think you know about okay. art. That's that's what I love about the crow. It's it's for those who know there's more to know, hmm. and really to be curious about. What's my place in this bigger global sense? Very good. Okay, so you talked a little bit about nature being significant. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it strikes me that the arts district itself is now becoming uh, less uh, discrete enclaves of museums and more a, a kind of a large park of, uh, of meeting place of, of art and the city and with Clyde Warren Park uh, right on the edge of it as well. There's, there's a lot more integration and a lot more uh, of a sense of connection to the land too and, and yes. people coming together. So uh, that's, that seems to be a, a, a somewhat of a healing mm -hmm. aspect to our downtown experience too. So true, and then the other parks that are on the way in the Central yes. Business District. Mm -hmm. I really hope we can teach people about what I, I call them peace places. Ah. You know, that there are little pockets, and uh, I recently heard there are 13 pocket parks in the Dallas Arts District. Wow. So I challenge you know everyone to go find them. Right. But this idea that you can get away from the desk, yes. and that's the beauty of the design of the Arts District, is that mm -hmm. you can get away from the desk and be somewhere else, mm -hmm. be in a gallery of Roman gold, mm -hmm. or be in a gallery of modern sculpture, and take take the human into another another world, essentially. Right. And right. or even go down. I'm I'm looking forward to what the symphony and what the theater center will offer for the employees during the day. And mm -hmm. sort of this microcosm of of access mm -hmm. to culture and art is so important. So. We learned it from our visitors. We didn't know it about ourselves. Ah, right. We didn't know that right. we were we were called. Uh, they told us we feel like when we come to the museum, that it's like walking into an oasis. Wow. I feel calmer when I leave my office and come into the crow. Okay. I like to come and just sit on a bench. Right. And we practiced yoga in the galleries for a long time, but mm -hmm. we didn't realize the impact of quiet and what it was having on the employee. Okay. In the and, and the busy downtown mm -hmm. buzz of business and commerce and all that sort of thing. It's an enclave, it's, it's an it oasis. Is. Right. Okay, good. Yeah. So that's part of the healing that uh, I think uh, people do characterize Eastern philosophy and religions with a kind of soulishness, don't mm -hmm. they? A kind of uh, healing of the body and soul division, which is very much a kind of Western way of looking at the world, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's uh, uh, sort of the human against nature rather right. than being a part of nature. And, and so, uh, so do you design the museum to that end or is it intrinsic to the art itself? Well, I, I think it's both. Okay. And um, we really do try, accessibility has been our first priority. Okay. Because we recognize that classrooms 10 years ago were not teaching this information, you know, mm -hmm. and, and how do we broaden teachers' courage mm -hmm. around the arts and cultures of Asia? Mm -hmm. Today, it's in most classrooms. Okay. It's on the AP exams. Right. So there's a, there is a, an audience that is wanting to understand how to help kids create connections and, and 
you know, enhance their own learning. Mm -hmm. So we do both, and we also we're really working on right now. We're very we're very curious about inclusion, multiculturalism. How can the collection create that conversation okay. and uh, allow a space for um, young people to get along in a different way? Well, I think inclusion uh, mm -hmm. is obviously begins with. In Dallas, Texas, we have an Asian art uh, right. exhibit, a museum. Uh, but this whole idea of inclusion and diversity works a little bit against uh, another pole in our country, culturally right now, that's cultural and political, and uh, it's a bit more nationalistic and tribal, and uh, our own, we want to you know, take care of our own first. So uh, in, in some ways, these things are in tension all the time in our country. Mm -hmm. And uh, but, but you're saying you think the path of, of community healing and wellness is more in the direction of inclusion and diversity than in purity of culture. Absolutely. I think we have to be in this conversation. Okay. And I think it's about love. Uh, and I'm, I'm so excited. I just found a video of Trammell in the early 90s, Trammell mm -hmm. Sr. speaking to a group of Harvard MBAs, talking yes. about a speech he made. And they asked, what is the single most um, important success strategy? And he talks about how he was afraid to tell them what it was. He knew what it was. Wow. And he said he just decided to go for it. And he said, it's love. Hmm. And this I, is a real estate developer. This is a real estate developer, exactly. the largest real estate com right. company in the world right. in right. the 80s. And, uh, you know, an icon for right. so many young um, entrepreneurs. And he said love to these Harvard MBAs. And the fearlessness and the commitment to that showed up in the way he treated his partners, mm -hmm. in the way he built a collection and shared it broadly with employees of all ranges. Um, and then for his wife, Margaret, to turn around and say this collection matters to the city and it's gonna be so important to foster mm -hmm. understanding across religions and faiths and cultures, so let's create something public. And in her number one rule is that we're always free. We're always free. Always free. So, there's the, so the, the access is absolutely, absolutely crucial. Yes. Because it keeps it from the class structure of art then. Right. right. So that's inclusion on its own. Absolutely. Now we can do a better job of helping people know that. You know, I think <laughs> right. we're in a corporate shell, we're in the middle right. of a, a right. tower, and so how do we right. really create the opportunities where we, we can do better? And that's not true for every museum downtown, and it, it is true for, at, at least for the permanent collection mm -hmm. of the Dallas Museum of Art, uh, but otherwise right. there, there are other museums that um, are, have a higher bar to, to get into right, right. away. But that's uh, a, a wonderful, uh, small d democratic sort of approach yeah. to uh, this inclusion and diversity that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, let's pick it up from there in just a moment. We have uh, uh, a, a nonprofit we'd like to uh, promote for just a moment, and so we'll be back and continue the conversation. Wonderful, thank you. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved. We're back with 
Amy Lewis Hofland, who is the executive director of the Crow Collection of Asian Art here in Dallas. And Amy, uh, we didn't really talk about the collection itself. Say a little more about when did it come into the museum and how did the collection come to pass? So 20 years ago, a team was working in what we call Trammell Crow time to <laughs> call literally thousands of objects from across the Crow's properties and businesses and hotels and warehouses and create a museum for the city mm -hmm. that would inform people about Asian art and culture. And the Crow Collection opened in 1998. It is the private collection of Margaret and Trammell Crow. And I think initially they thought we would, it would open and people would just come, but a museum is certainly so much more than a permanent collection. Yeah. But in the collection, uh, we have Japanese art, so Japanese screens and scrolls from the Edo period, a beautiful collection of Chinese jades, really considered one of the best examples of Qing Dynasty jades in the oh. United States. Mm -hmm. And then Trammell and Margaret also loved the art of South Asia. Mm -hmm. So um, Indian art, Hindu sculpture, he was a huge fan of Vishnu, which I think is mm -hmm. so interesting. Vishnu is known as the preserver of the universe. Mm -hmm. um, he also loved the, the art of Buddhism, and these works of art really were all over the world. One of the pieces we found was in a hotel in New Hampshire. Wow. So the idea and the sensibility to bring them together as a collection that is truly a heart collection. They were things Trammell loved. He was not trying to put together a holistic Asian art museum. He was really looking at things that made his heart beat more. So. Well, he's back to love again. Right, I guess. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you, you talked a little earlier about uh, the, the kind of signature marks of Asian art being around a connection to nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, let's see, you mentioned uh, what the accessibility of them. Mm -hmm. And there was a third thing. Um, um, oh gosh, really that um, across generation and Func functionality. Functionality, yes. exactly. Yes. Okay, sorry. I'm, I'm a slow learner here. <laughs> I'm just picking, picking back up again. But so some of those things we can probably carry with us into the museum mm -hmm. and say, oh, how is this reflective of that? Do you have any other tips for people who visit the museum, uh, especially those of us who are so Western in our orientation? Do we look at Asian art looking for something different? Uh, how, do we, how do we look at Asian art? I think we look at Asian art with slow eyes. Slow eyes. Slow eyes. The art of slow looking is okay. one of the gifts of our museum. Okay. And, when, and I'll start with jades. Jades are made over sometimes decades. So mm. a single work of art would have been made in an imperial workshop by a team of, of carvers, and it might take 30 or 40 years to make one work of art. Mm -hmm. That is a totally different work ethic than sure. what we have, and it calls the viewer to slow down. Mm. Because in this jade, which is an incredibly dense material, you've got tiny little caves with lohans meditating in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And you've got wonderful <clears throat> discoveries to make that take time mm -hmm. and really do ask the viewer to slow down. Um, in Japanese art, you have a lot of um, experiences with nature which automatically tell the brain, I'm in a different place. Mm. Let's take a breath and be present in this cherry blossom grove mm. or in this snow scene from Kyoto. Yeah. So there's just a natural, I think nature is the first call really to slow okay. down. So to look for evidence of nature, to look for evidence of time, time is different mm -hmm. and space is different really right. to look for what is the relationship with the human in Asian art. And it's a very different journey. 
You mentioned time being a different understanding. So in the West, time is more sequential. It's mm -hmm. more about uh, where we're going. It's more linear. Um, and so therefore, it's, it's very actional. It's very purposeful. Uh, history is very much more of a Western concept because uh, there's an expectation of the new in the West. But in the East, uh, time has been traditionally more circular, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's more about cycles of renewal. It's more about uh, sameness, uh, the, the repetition of things, and so it's slower, mm -hmm. right? So one of my questions, though, about this is if ancient um, art, like the collection has a lot of, is more driven by that view of time, uh, with the westernization happening in Asia, what's, has there been a change in the way art is being done in the East? <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that's one of the great paradoxes mm -hmm. of Asia and visiting China today. And, and I think the countries are still trying to sort this out. Uh -huh. Who are we? Are we mm -hmm. a rising superpower? Mm -hmm. Or are we a place where history has stood still for thousands of years? Right. And um, I, you know, the crow really looks at the artists that are doing both, okay. that are sort of frontlining contemporary conversations about mm -hmm. tradition, mm -hmm. because we believe that's why we we are here mm -hmm. is to preserve tradition, but talk about it as a relevant space um, yes. in today's society. And I think time is in both. You know, okay. I think there's a we can have a relationship with time in both. But what I've learned from looking at Asian art over these years is impermanence. Ah. And that's part of the cycle that you're talking yes, about. Right. And right. that if we're comfortable with impermanence, uh -huh. we're happier human beings. Everything changes. Everything changes. Okay. I, I joked the other day that there's nothing at the crow that's not changing right now. Okay. So it's just like embrace it. And then we're so much um, less likely to be resentful and um, angry. You know, if we're okay with change, and it's not an easy thing to learn. I'm making light of it. Um, we called 2015, or 2014 our year of impermanence. Okay. Uh, and we've studied Tibetan Buddhism all along the way. The monks right. have been in the museum right. every year since we opened from right. Tibet, from the Drepung Losli Monastery in India. Right. And uh, impermanence is a hard lesson. Yes. And Margaret Crow passed away in 14, and that was a real moment to be present in the concept mm -hmm. of impermanence. I'll bet. And what yeah. does it mean to a museum when the founder mm -hmm. is no longer present um, in the conversation? Right. So uh, it, it really created a lot of inquiry around what is impermanence and what is its relationship with love and compassion. Okay, okay. So yeah. you're now talking about how uh, this global consciousness and the imprint of the East uh, is is having uh, it, it's, it's teaching us some things uh, here in the West. We uh, my initial question was about how the Western uh, ideals are changing uh, art in the East, but if it's a real global community, there's this reciprocal nature of how we're we're going to find healing and wholeness if we're learning from each other. Right. We need each other. Yes. You know I. Um I needed more information in 2014 and 15, and His Holiness the Dalai Lama made a trip to Dallas yes. in July of 15. Okay. And the museum was invited to bring several works of art over to the Bush Library. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've studied him through the monks and my journeys with the monks uh, that came to Dallas. I had no idea what impact a day with His Holiness would bring. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to meet him one-on-one -on -one 
and then I had the opportunity to sit at a luncheon with 100 people, and then I watched him in the afternoon at SMU with 2,700 people. And the human in the room was the same human every time. Every time. And he was fearless, loving, joyful, and 100% prepared to be compassionate. Well, you know, that's how he lives his life. <laughs> and, and you mentioned the Dalai Lama, uh, his uh, translator yes, and aide uh, is uh, the author of this book, A Fearless Heart. Uh, you brought it along with you because this is something that you're reading now. This uh, is our study for this year, which is a year of courage. Year of courage. Year of courage. Right. And so again, the influence of the art and the culture from which mm-hmm. it comes and the religions that animate uh, the imagination of those artists now have a, uh, an effect uh, here in Dallas, Texas on a cradle Episcopalian. <laughs> exactly. And uh, <laughs> on people who are maybe more predominantly influenced by uh, Judaism and, uh, and Christianity here in Dallas. Uh, but you mentioned that the direction of this is toward compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've been involved uh, with the collection and the museum in uh, moving out from the building itself into uh, a, a relationship with Compassion DFW, part of Compassion International, and and, and a work for the, the goodwill and, and common being of, of, of the community. Say more about compassion. I will. Well, I made a promise in uh-huh. 2015. So at the end of his talks, the Dalai Lama stands on the end of the stage and asks every person in the room to raise their hand and put compassion into action. Mm-hmm. And I traveled along uh, with, the, not with him, but to Anaheim, California, to a compassion council. And for 11 days, I watched him give these talks. And I started to panic. I started to worry. I got back to Dallas what does it mean to put compassion into action and what have I promised to do? You know, as a cradle Episcopalian, I sit in church every sun- most Sundays <laughs> and I think I'm doing good in the world, but I'm really not. Uh-huh. You know, what am I really committed to as a human being when it comes right. to the homeless person on the side of the road on Ross right. Avenue? Yeah. And so we looked into the work of Karen Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Because we wanted to be fluid about the collection. The collection's the catalyst mm-hmm. for if the collection is the catalyst for compassion, then we have to study religion. Mm-hmm. And for, 20, for 19 years, I was afraid to talk about religion at the Crow. Mm-hmm. Afraid to be a white director um, presenting the, the cultures and traditions of Asia. And, you know, afraid to bring up the Islamic faith. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right after 9-11, I, don't, I haven't told this story in front of a camera, but Here um, we are. a few days after 9-11, Wednesday, or I think it was three days after, we had three bullet holes in our Islamic gallery wow. off of Harwood. Mm. And it was completely pushed under the rug. We couldn't talk about it. Mm. You know, and, and everything was frozen in those days, of course. including the flights. Um, but we couldn't talk about it. And I, I'm so grateful that we're in a community in a city that is ready to, to have deep discussions about what it means to, to love and understand a Muslim. Right. And respect right. a Muslim's beliefs and also hold our own beliefs as a Christian and as a, as a Jew or wherever we are in our, in our space. I think that's one of the misconceptions people have about having... Uh, uh, multi-faith relationships, interfaith dialogues. There is an assumption that we're going to water down our own faith tradition mm-hmm. or we're going to give away the store and the particularity of our claims of truth and things like that. 
But underneath all of our religions is this human element of we live together. Mm -hmm. we, we are in searches for meaning that are common to our humanity. And finding those connections is part of what compassion is about, isn't mm -hmm. it? So the very word compassion, uh, the, the word comes from passio, from the, the Latin, which means to suffer, but more to the point, to be willing to allow yourself to be acted upon, mm -hmm. which I find fascinating, yes. really. In other words, when we enter into these conversations, we are with people, we're giving permission to someone to act upon us. We're opening ourselves up, right? right? And so, uh, and then we do that for someone else, and that's where the magic happens, isn't right. it? Right, right, and it takes courage. It takes a fearless heart. Mm -hmm. And a year ago, I was really struggling. I had all these ideas. I wanted to have a podcast. I wanted to write a book. I wanted, you know, and I wanted things to happen, but I couldn't figure out how to fuel the action. Right. And the missing element was courage. Uh. You know, and, and so then that led to this discovery of Tipton Jinpa's book. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about compassion. Everybody right. says yes. Yes. And yes. everybody offers a, a next sort of parcel of information that, right. that broadens our understanding of the world. And, right. you know, I think um, we are in a community, and I, I don't like to say an age of anxiety like Auden mm -hmm. did, right. but we're in a community that, that needs each other yes. to survive. Right. And, and religion is actually the strength that gets us there. Well, it's really true, and I, I think we have to wrap up our, our time together now, uh, but we have a choice about how religion will play its mm -hmm. role, don't we? And uh, in, in, in a world in which we see examples of religions fighting against each other and tearing apart um, the fabric of civilization and cultures, uh, religion means actually literally to bind together. Mm. Uh, and so uh, if, if we're playing the role that religion is supposed to play, uh, that's what it will do. And it sounds to me like you have found a vocation uh, where you can bring all of this together <laughs> and uh, create um, possibilities of healing for anyone here in Dallas who's uh, going to go through the collection and be part of that museum. Thank you, Amy, for being Thank with us. Thank you so much. So glad to have you. Thank you very much. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thank you. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Our guest coordinator and communications director is Jay Pritchard. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved.